This is God's word. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last greatness kinder, ki- great, this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize the other. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this portion of it this morning. We thank you for your daughter, Ruth. We thank you, Lord, for her trust and her willingness to obey. We thank you above all else, O Lord, for your mercy and your grace and for the almighty plan that you have set in motion, the plan that has secured our salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now last week in the passage that we read in verses 1 to 5, we were given... Naomi's plan for Ruth, this foolhardy scheme that Naomi had sent Ruth upon to go out in near darkness at dusk, to go down to the threshing floor on the outskirts of town by herself, a single woman, to go to this uh, place where the harvest had just been finished, the winnowing was over, and a celebration was taking place. And Ruth was to observe what took place and to observe where the man, Boaz, lay down. And then, under cover of darkness, she was to approach him as he lay there. And Naomi's instructions to Ruth are, he will tell you what to do. And so in this passage this morning, we get the execution of the plan. We see how it works out. 
how it is carried out. We see what Ruth does. And it's good to remind ourselves, to to keep in mind, the risks that are involved in this plan. We pointed those out last week, but let's bring them back up. There's a physical risk for Ruth as she goes down alone. There's a danger that she could be accosted by, uh, by men on her way. There's also the risk that she will do damage to her reputation if she's seen approaching or departing from Boaz in the middle of the night. Ruth also runs the grave risk of being completely rejected by Boaz. He may see what she's doing as too forward. He may turn her away from him. She may lose the provision and the protection that he's already extended over her when he gave to her from his fields, when he allowed her to glean, even among the sheaves. She's risking life and limb. She is risking reputation. She's risking her standing with this man by carrying out this scheme. And in spite of all of these risks, Naomi commands her. She commands Ruth to carry out her instructions. And we read Ruth's response last week. It's a simple, all that you say I will do. It's simple obedience to her mother-in-law's commands. Now, as it turns out, there's a problem that comes up that doesn't appear to be anticipated by Naomi or by Ruth. There's a problem that comes up which has the potential to wreck Naomi's plan. But it serves as a reminder. It served as a reminder to them, and it should serve as a reminder to us of one important fact, of one important uh, thing to keep in mind. We can make plans, but we cannot control the outcome. And so this morning, as we go through this passage, I would ask you to think about this. We may plan for the future, but God directs our steps. And he promises in his word to work everything out for the good of those who love him. Let me say it again. We may plan for the future, but God directs our steps. And he has promised in his word to work everything out for the good of those who love him. Now, I've simply divided this passage into three sections, looking at various segments of of the verses. Uh, The first section is looking at verses 6 to 9, and I've titled this Ruth's Proposal. The second section is Boaz's response, verses 10 to 15. And then finally, the third section, Ruth's return, verses 16 to 18. Again, Ruth's proposal, verses 6 to 9. Boaz's response, verses 10 to 15. And then Ruth's return, verses 16 to 18. So let's look at this proposal that Ruth makes to Boaz. Well, verse 6 lets us know right up front. Verse 6, the author wants us to know that Ruth does everything that her mother-in-law has commanded her to do. It says simply, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. The author of the book wants you and me, the reader, he wants us to know that Ruth faithfully complies to her mother's words. We get a picture of this young woman who is submitting to the will of others, and specifically, in this case, to the will of her mother-in-law. And you see a a similar picture of compliance among the prophets of God. You see this over and over in the Old Testament, where the prophet is given a message from God, and then at the end of that message, as the prophet has delivered it, it says something along the lines of, and he said all that the Lord had given him to say. And there's a comparison here that takes place. Ruth is obeying. She's being obedient. This is not her plan that she's carrying out, but it it dramatically affects her future. And her unquestioning obedience 
shows Ruth's trust in both Naomi and Boaz, but it especially shows her trust in God. She trusts that the Lord, whom she has taken refuge under his wings, she's come under his wings as we read back in chapter 2. She trusts him that he will protect her, that he will care for her. And so verse 7 begins the description of what takes place at the threshing floor. Celebrating the end of the harvest, Boaz is there. He's eaten. He has drunk. He is full. Literally, his heart was good. We read his heart was merry. It was a joyous occasion. This is an agrarian society. And when the end of the harvest is reached, when the, when the heap of grain is lying there on the floor, the threshing floor, it is a joyous occasion. And so it is fitting that there would be a celebration. And there was a celebration that night. Boaz had feasted and he was happy. His heart was content. There's no indication here, as many people want to read into it, that Boaz was drunk. There's no indication of excessive uh, merrymaking. But it is true. He's happy. He's content. And so he desires to lie back and rest. And it's a favorable time for Ruth to approach him. And our instincts would say she needs to go up to him right now while he's happy. Catch him in a good mood. Give him her plan. But her instructions from Naomi are specific, aren't they? She is to wait. She is to wait until he lays down. Until he takes his rest. And Boaz did lie down in verse 7. It says at the end of that that he he lay down at the end of the heap of grain. You've got to imagine that this is a threshing floor. It was made out of stones put on the ground probably up on a hill to catch the breeze that would come up so that they could winnow the grain, they could get the chaff away from it. And it's probably a a fairly large size floor, maybe the size of the floor here in this gymnasium. And Boaz would not be the only landowner whose heap of grain is there on the threshing room floor. It's a community threshing room. And so Boaz rightfully, he he very wisely, and this would be the case uh, throughout the Middle East, He wisely takes watch. He sets a watch on the grain, this heap of grain. There are other piles of grain. If nobody's there to watch over it, someone could take from one pile and move it to theirs. And so Boaz takes the first watch, it appears. And seeing where Boaz lay, Ruth quietly made her way down to the threshing floor. And she uncovered his feet and she lay down. Now the cool air on his feet must have awakened Boaz. He startled, it says. It could be translated, that word for startled, could be translated, he shivered. The cold air on his feet caused him to wake up. And he looked, and behold, there's a a woman here. Where did she come from? He's been clueless. He has no idea that she's uh, very quietly come to lay down at his feet. It says, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. This was quite a surprise for Boaz. Who was this woman? Where did she come from? It was too dark to see. He could tell she was a woman. He didn't know who she was. And so in verse 10, he asks her, Who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. I'm Ruth. You know me. You've cared for me. I'm your servant. She reveals her identity to him, but at the same time, she places herself at his mercy. She's submitting to him. And then she says... Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
Now, some of your translations either have a footnote or they may translate this verse slightly differently. They may something along, say something along the lines of, spread the corner of your garment over me. Either way, it's acceptable. And there's a, there's a close connotation between the two. By saying this, Ruth is reminding Boaz of what Boaz himself said in chapter 2, verse 12. Where he said, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Boaz had already been used by God. He was being used by God in the life of Ruth and in the life of Naomi. He provided for her. He would given her an excessive amount of grain already. He extended protection over her. He told her to work with his people, not anyone else's people. But now she is asking him something different. She's asking him to care for her permanently. Make no mistake about what is taking place here. Ruth is asking Boaz to marry her. Her request that he spread his wings over her is, as I have said, translated, can also be translated, spread the corner of your garment over your servant. And there was an ancient marriage custom. It's still in place today in some areas uh, among Arabs in which a man symbolically took a wife by throwing a garment corner over her. There was symbolism here. There was an extension of protection, of care. And so this is what Ruth is asking Boaz to do. And after she asks him to spread his wings over her, to protect her, she says, for you are a redeemer. She's asking Boaz to marry her because he is a kinsman redeemer of hers. Her and Naomi's hope is that Boaz will extend the line of Elimelech. That Boaz will keep Elimelech's family name from dying out. Naomi has no more children. Ruth has no child. Her sister-in-law Orpah had no children. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, has no hope. Even in his death, there's no hope for his family to continue on. And so Ruth asks Boaz to redeem her, to claim her as his wife. Well, Ruth has carried out her duties. She has done all that Naomi commanded her to do. And now it's all in Boaz's hands. She's turned it over to him. She trusts Naomi. She trusts Boaz, it is clear. She ultimately trusts God. And that's how she is able to give her life to this man. To seek his protection. To seek his providence. Well, her faith in God has brought her out of Moab. Her faith in God has brought her to the promised land. Her faith in God has brought her down to this threshing floor in the middle of the night to lay at the feet of this man. She has given herself to Boaz. How will he respond? And so he does respond in verses 10 to 15. In verse 10, Boaz breaks out into blessing. He says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Was Ruth concerned? Was she worried about how he might respond to her proposal? Certainly, I'm sure she was. She was a human being. But all of her concerns, all of her worries that she might have had about Boaz being offended by her bold proposal are brushed aside. He reassures her with this phrase. He invokes a blessing on her from God. 
And he says that her first kindness is better than the last. Her first kindness of leaving her father and her mother and her homeland to come with her mother-in-law into a strange land to sojourn among, among strangers who would look down upon her because of the fact that she is from Moabite, uh, from Moab. Her last kindness is her willingness to, to be redeemed in marriage so that Naomi's husband will have an heir. Now Ruth could have selflessly, selfishly pursued those young men. She could have pursued the young men whether they were poor or rich. And she would have been fine to have done so. If she was single, it would have been proper for her to pursue young men. But instead, she sought Boaz out. Well, in case she's still worried about, Boaz, about what Boaz will do, he tells Ruth in verse 11 not to fear. He says that he will do all that she asks. However, there's a glitch in the plan. There's a problem. And it's revealed to us in verse 12. Boaz tells her here that there is someone else who's a closer relative than he is. There's someone higher than Boaz is on the list of redeemers. And Boaz, despite his preference that Ruth become his wife, which is made clear in his words, despite his preference, he knows that his duty is to seek out this other relative. Despite the fact that he probably would love nothing better than to be married to Ruth. And he knows that she wants to be married to him. He considers it a duty and an obligation to seek out this other relative and to talk with him over the matter. And then he says something that might have been frightening to Ruth. He says, if he will redeem you, good. If he will redeem you, good. <laughs> Could Ruth say the same thing? She doesn't even know who this man is. He's unmentioned. But then he says... But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. I will take care of you. Well, the best laid plans are never foolproof. They're never without their glitches. They're never without their flaws. Ruth has gone to Boaz seeking refuge, but she may end up as the wife of someone else. Happiness has given way to anxiety. She knows Boaz to be an honorable and a worthy man. She was carrying out his plan from a sense of responsibility to Naomi. But she also knew that Boaz would care for her, that he would love her. He's proved this already. And Boaz seems to sense Ruth's anxiety. He seems to pick up on the fact that she's nervous now. And so he tells her to remain there tonight, to remain there with him. And then at the end of verse 13, Boaz commands Ruth to lie down until morning. Now this section, this passage has been taken in many ways. And as we said last week, even when we were discussing Naomi's instructions to Ruth, there, there are many commentators, there are many interpreters who are taking this to be very sexually suggestive. But there is nothing provocative in Boaz's words. He uses a word for remain tonight that has no sexual connotation to it whatsoever. In every context that it's used in the Old Testament, it simply means to stay now, Ruth has been working nonstop since she arrived in Bethlehem. And now Boaz is giving her rest. He's giving her the rest that Naomi wants for her. And she can rest because of the fact that her Redeemer is going to work for her. He is going to represent her. He's going to care for her. And Ruth did rest. 
We read in verse 14 that she lay at his feet until morning. And then we find out that there's a concern there. There's a concern on both of their parts that no one else see her departing from the threshing floor. There's a concern for their reputation. This is not a, a, a sneaking concern. This is not a slinking off. There's a concern that their honorable reputations be maintained. And so Ruth gets up before anyone can recognize, anyone can see one person from another. And Boaz thinks to himself, it is not good. Let it not be known that this woman was here at the threshing floor. And so Ruth prepares to go home. And as if to reassure her, in verse 15, Boaz commanded Ruth to hold out her garment. He wants her to hold out her shawl that she would have had wrapped around her. And she holds it out. And the verse says that he filled it with six measures of barley. Now there's not uh, an accurate description of how much this is. But a lot of commentators have have probably uh, rightly uh, assumed that it's somewhere between 60 and 90 pounds of grain. 60 and 90 pounds of grain that she would have to carry back. This was a bountiful gift on the part of Boaz to Ruth. This is a reassurance to Ruth that Boaz is going to care for her into the future. He's going to take care, care of her. And after he's loaded her down with barley, Ruth goes back to Bethlehem to await the outcome of Boaz's dealings. Now there's an old saying And it's attributed to Thomas Akempis. Man proposes, but God disposes. You and I can make plans. We can plan for our futures, but God determines the outcomes. You and I can think into the future and anticipate what may happen, but God alone knows what will happen. Because he has determined it. And his grace. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord directs his steps. Naomi had come up with this elaborate plan, but she did not seem to factor in the fact that there was a nearer redeemer, a nearer relative. And now everything hangs in the balance until the matter can be settled. Now we have all been in circumstances where we have made plans and those plans have ended in disaster. We've all been in circumstances where we do not know how things are going to end. And when that happens, we we can either cry out in frustration and shake our fists at God. We can blame Him for what has happened. Or we can rest in Him. We can trust in Him. We can trust in the promises of His Word. We can trust that He promises that for those who love Him, He will work everything out for the good. Even the worst of circumstances in which we find ourselves... Well, what is your typical response? What is my typical response? We've made plans, and they don't work out. How do we react? Do we get angry? Frustrated? Do we act out in rebellion? Or do we trust? Do we take that opportunity to rest in God? Do we go to the promises of His Word? Do we seek out what he has said and what he has promised to do for us? What is your reaction? I would ask you that if it's, if it's the first reaction, if it's anger, frustration, shaking your fist at God, that you seek to modify it. That you seek rest in him. 
You see, at the very least, a plan that goes awry, a plan that ends in disaster, is a reminder to you, and it's a reminder to me, that we are not God. We are creatures. We are not the creator. We are feeble men and women and children. We cannot plan the future. The future rests in God's hand alone. And if you are a believer, if you trust in Jesus, if you have placed your faith in him, then you rest in his hand. And what does Jesus say? He says, none will snatch you from my hand. No one will be able to pull you apart from me. What does Paul say? Nobody can separate you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are in his hands. He's wrapped his arms around you. He will work everything out for your good. Well, in verses 16 to 18, the author of the book of Ruth recounts Ruth's return. She comes back to Bethlehem. And in verse 16, she goes to her mother-in-law who asks how it all went. You can imagine that Naomi, Ruth has been resting. Naomi has been back at the house sitting up all night like any concerned mother, wondering what on earth is going on. How will this matter turn out? And Ruth told her everything that happened overnight. And then she explained this huge bundle of grain that she's carried back in with her. She says, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz cared for Ruth, but he demonstrated that he also cared for Naomi in this gift of grain. The volume of grain was such that it would last for several months. And she had already brought home enough grain to last for months and months. This was blessing upon blessing that Boaz is pouring out upon Ruth and Naomi. And it was also a sign to them. It was a sign that he would do everything in his power to make sure that they were taken care of. In Boaz's mind, whether he marries Ruth or whether this other relative marries Ruth, Ruth and Naomi will be taken care of in the future. Ultimately, however, it is out of their hands. It's out of Boaz's hands. It's certainly out of Naomi and Ruth's hands. They're subject to what will happen. But the final words of the chapter are indeed comforts, words of comfort to Ruth. Naomi says to her, wait or sit, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Ruth has done all she can do. But now she can rest while Boaz works. The matter has been taken out of her hands. Now there is nothing wrong with making plans for the future. The Bible commends wise planning. But the Bible also shows us that there is is truth in only one plan. There is surety in only one plan. We can trust in only one plan. Naomi's plan was for her and for Ruth's earthly redemption. But God's plan is for our eternal redemption. And while Ruth and and, and Naomi, they carry out this elaborate scheme that was full of danger, all that is required of us, all that is required of you and me, is to repent of our sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead. That's all we must do. And it is doing nothing but trusting and turning There was indeed danger in God's plan, but not for his people. 
There was danger for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the danger was that the Lord Jesus, after successfully living a life of perfect obedience to his heavenly Father, would at the end of it die a cursed death on the cross. That he would undergo God's wrath. That he would be subject to death for a period of time. All of the danger in God's eternal plan was taken up by Jesus. And all that is asked of people like you and me, sinners, is that we believe, that we turn from our sins, that we embrace the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ promises rest, promises us rest. He promises that our work is over if we turn to him in faith. And that is because he works for us. God rested from his work on creation on the seventh day. But he continues to do the work of providence. He continues to work on our behalf. And there's this special providence for God's people, for his children, the church. He loves his church. He cares for his church. He will do everything that is necessary to secure the salvation and the benefit of blessing for his church. We have entered his rest if we believe in him. And it's all according to his plan, not ours. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, My Father is working until now, and I am working. God works so that you and I can rest. And he works to fulfill his plan of redemption for his people. And he will not rest until the matter is fully settled. He will not rest. You can trust in that. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you have rest. But if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus, then I call upon you now to repent and believe. Trust in Him. Embrace the Lord Jesus in faith. God calls you to rest and receive on Christ, to receive Christ and His righteousness, to rest and receive Him alone for righteousness. Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient to his Father's plan so that you and I do not have to worry about how our plans will end up. Let us pray.